Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Let me ask you a question. Glad to be at church today? Right. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, if we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's Word today. If you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, why don't you meet me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is where we will be. As you turn there, let me just say uh, a few things. Again, let me echo a welcome to our VIPs. If it's your first time with us, whether you're in the room or online, so glad to have you. Make some noise for those VIPs today. If you have not done so, and it is your first time, please send us a text message again at 97,097,000. Type BTVIP, one word, no space. You'll be sent a prompt. If you'll fill that out, we would love to reach out, answer questions that you might have. Again, so thankful you're here. Hope you will come back and worship with us again. Again, I want to welcome the BT Online community. Give it up for BT Online. Uh, thankful to have you all tuned in. And uh, here at BT, we believe very much in a culture of celebration. We want to celebrate what God is doing because it is overwhelming that God has given us his grace and that he allows us to join him in the work of the ministry. And so some exciting things that have happened this year, 58 people have gone from death to life, calling upon the name of Jesus, receiving him as their savior. We celebrate that. And while many of those have happened in weekend services uh, or our kids or students or young adult ministries here at the church, we also celebrate that some of those are happening outside of these four walls. The truth is, I say every week that the next week is bring a friend week. And it is. Next week is bring a friend. Write it down. Don't forget, right? Text somebody now. You got to come next week. Um, and, and part of that is if you bring your coworker, neighbor, family member, friend, we will indeed talk about Jesus, but, but really the high goal is that when you leave here, you are talking about Jesus to that friend, co-worker, co-worker family member, whatever that person might be to you, that you are talking about Jesus outside of here. And so this past week, one of our staff members, Isaac Zavala, went to the Mission Police Department. Uh, that's one of the things we want to do. We want to love on organizations and community uh, in our community. Uh, and so he went to the Mission PD to uh, just be a voice of encouragement. And while he was there, seven officers said yes to Jesus and gave their life to him. And so <clears throat> that's part of that 58. We've also had 23 people go public with their faith through Believer's Baptism. We had one last service. So that means every Sunday of 2023, someone has been baptized at one of our campuses. We don't have one planned for this service, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have one. Uh, We celebrate Believer's Baptism at BT. We call it that because we believe that after saying yes to Jesus and receiving the gift of salvation, after that, you make the decision to be baptized as a believer, not because baptism makes you saved. It's a mark that you've been saved. It's a mark that you have received the gift of eternal life. And I believe that most likely there's someone in this room that you have received Jesus. You have called upon his name and received the free gift of salvation. But for some reason, maybe a lack of clarity or you didn't know why it mattered, you have not yet been baptized. And I just wanna encourage you, would you consider that step of obedience? In fact, today, Maybe you didn't plan on it, but we planned on you. And so many of you know the reality. We have shirts and shorts and towels. Um, water's warmed up. He sowed at a baptism last service. I bet he would do another. And so listen, here in a few minutes, uh, when we get ready for our time of invitation, you can just make your way out to the info center. In fact, you can do it right now if you want. But you can make your way to the info center and just talk to the people there and say, hey, I, I want to get baptized today. We'll talk to you about what that decision means, and we'll celebrate that baptism a little bit later on. Uh, but we are so thankful for what God is doing in the life 
of our church. A couple things, uh, again, this coming Friday, we have the All Things New Worship Experience. Really encourage you to put that on your calendar. As Isauro said earlier, you might have missed that announcement. But, but many of you are new to BT. That's great. It's so awesome to have so many new people. But, but All Things New, it will be a night of worship, which is ultimately why we gather. But it will provide a little bit of an interactive experience that if you're relatively new to BT, you can get a little bit of our history that night. And we'll talk about where we've come from, where we are, and where we believe God is leading us to go. So I hope that you can make time to join us this Friday for our All Things New Worship Experience. Uh, also, just want to throw this out. Next week, there'll be a couple new classes that'll be uh, started here at the McAllen campus. And so they'll be meeting at 11 a.m. So if either of these interest you, you could come at 9 a.m. for worship and then stick around, just hang out all morning with us. That's cool. Uh, and so one of those classes is a parenting class that'll be led by Isauro Medina, our uh, pastor of adult discipleship. And, and so if you're like me, I've been a parent for 16 years, and I've realized that each passing year I know less about parenting. I'm not sure how that happens. Um, but maybe, you know, you just want to get some tools on how to be a better parent. At, at minimum, you can find some people that are in the trenches with you. So that kicks off six-week class starting next week, 11 a.m., and then also we'll have a unique class uh, for this, type of, this time of season. And it, it's celebrating with Israel, and it'll be looking at the feasts and festivals that the nation of Israel would celebrate. And you may be like, I've heard about those. I don't know what they are. Great way to find out. So that'll happen at 11 a.m. Donna Christian, longtime member of BT, will be teaching. So if that interests you, come at 9, right? Don't miss corporate worship. Come at 9 and then stick around at 11 for those classes. Hey, have you ever noticed? You may not have noticed this, actually. And, and so let me just kind of break the news because this is a, a secret. We live in an extremely polarized society. I know that you're not aware of that. I'm joking, by the way. That, was, that did not get received well. Um, and, unless you really aren't aware of that, then I don't know what to say to you. We, we, we live in an extremely polarized time. I, I, I push back against statements. Sometimes people say, like, oh, the, that next generation coming up, they are the, the, the most immoral. The, I don't like that because to say a generation is more immoral than another would mean that there is, that there is different degrees of sinfulness. Sin is sin. It's been around since Adam and Eve. Uh, and when we look at an upcoming generation and say, well, they're just, you know, we're just going to hell in a handbag. That generation is going to be the, the death of us. Let's just remember that when the New Testament was written, the, the Roman Empire went to the Colosseum and watched people kill each other for sport. That's kind of bad, right? So I, I kind of push against the, the absolute statements. But I think this might be the most polarized age we've ever lived in. Right, everything is A or B, black or white, one or two, left or right. I mean, it's almost like we have become digital in the digital age. Listen, I'm speaking above my pay grade. I, I don't know a whole lot about computers, but I know that ultimately everything boils down to a binary language, right? It's zeros and ones. Zeros and ones uh, determines where the mouse is on the screen, determines the font, determines the, the color. It all boils down to zeros and ones, and much of our society feels like it is either this or that. And if you don't agree with this, you agree with that, then you're clearly wrong. Or if you somehow don't agree with either, then something's very wrong. But the interesting thing, beloved, is we're not, we're not a computer, are we? The Bible says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And in an age where more and more people want to create boxes that you must exist in, you ever feel, you know, the, the problem with polarization in society is that sometimes, sometimes I feel like I'm just trying to make the least bad decision, right? You ever feel that way? Like I feel that way about tonight. 
Every time the Cowboys aren't in the Super Bowl, which is often, <laughs> I'm just trying to make the least bad decision, right? It's a little easier tonight because one of those teams wears green and they are the worst decision. But anyways, uh, if you're a fan, I don't apologize. So anyways, <laughs> I'm a sinner working on myself too. But what, what if, what if in this life filled with complexities, what if in this life with, with insurmounting impossibilities, where it's got to be this or that, and this and that both seem not that great? What, what if in the, in the midst of impossibilities, there was a life of possibility? What if it wasn't always A or B? But what if by saying yes to Jesus, we had access to his wisdom that is above ours? And what if when things seem to be A or B, what's the least bad? What, what, what if there was a way by pressing into Jesus to realize that there's a hope and there's a direction and there's a freedom? I remember when I was in college, I had, uh, I, I think I've shared this story before, but just to make the point, I, I had gone to visit um, a, a friend that, that I was dating. That person's not my wife, all right? So just get that out there. Which is why we're, we stopped dating, because she wasn't my wife. And so I found, you know. But I had gone to visit this, this girl and her family. And uh, her, I'm going to hurry up. And so her, her dad was a, was a pastor. And so that, that day of the visit, they had a church work day, a small church. Maybe some of you all remember those. Everybody shows up, mows the grass, trims the trees, all that stuff. So, so I show up, and they're having a church work day. And, and this was in, in California, by the way, and I'm a good old Texas boy. Uh, from, you know, working at Camp Zephyr, I know how to do manual labor. And so they're doing a church work day. They're doing it all wrong, by the way. They, they, wouldn't, la- they wouldn't have lasted a minute in Texas. And so I, I was assigned to the tree trimming crew. And there, anyways, I won't bore you with the details of how wrong they were. But so I kind of take charge and I take lead. And we're driving around from tree to tree and I'm trimming the trees. And after one tree, I sat down on the cab. There was this old pickup that we were using to drive around the property. And I sat down on the cab of this old truck. And when I sat down, the young, another young guy was driving. And, and so he, he shut the door because he thought we were going to move. But I had my hand resting right there kind of on the, the door frame. So when he shut the door, it's an old pickup and it didn't have any weather stripping. So when the door closed, it's like metal on metal, except for when there's a finger in between. Then it's a you know, metal finger, metal sandwich. So, so the door slams and I rip my hand out of the door because that's what you do. By the way, let me encourage you, don't do that. Let them open the door. So I, I yank my hand because you know, the pain and I'm shaking my hand, but I, you know, I'm from Texas, so I'm tough. I'm like, oh man, that didn't hurt. And there's a guy sitting in the bed of the truck across from me and he's like, he just like loses all his color. I'm like, what's up with you? My, my finger's the one that got slammed in the door. He's like, look at your finger. And so when I pick it up, then I feel all the warmth of the blood. And when I get it to eye level, the, t- the tip of my pinky fell into my lap. Anyways, we end up going to the, to, yeah, yeah. It's actually a little bit shorter. Anyways, uh, so... All that to say, so we get to the hospital, this little, it's a small town, and we get to this hospital, and they, they run x-rays, which I'm, I'm, you know, you're in shock. I'm like, why are you doing an x-ray? The end of my finger fell off. Like, well, I don't understand. 
And so they run x-rays and all this. So finally, this doctor comes in and he tells me his name and he's like, oh, here's the deal, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, the good news, he says, the good news is that everything should be fine. Reattaching the end of your finger shouldn't be a problem. The only thing we're, we're fighting against is time. And if much more time goes by, we may have to, to cut it at the first knuckle there. And, you know, so I would be like this. And so he's expl- he says everything's going to be fine unless it takes too long. And so I said, well, doctor, why are we not doing this now? And he said, well, my shift just ended. And the, the next doc isn't here yet. A or B. And so I politely said, well, how about option C? Where you just fix my finger before you go home. Right? Sometimes there are two bad decisions. <laughs> but part of the gift of Jesus is that we don't have to become servants and slaves to that. Part of the gift of Jesus is that there is a way to not make the least bad decision in a world that's fractured, but to find freedom. You see, we live in a fractured world. It's a reality because of sin, and and that's not news to you. You don't have to look long or far to find brokenness and heartache and hopelessness. You, You don't have to strain your eyes to realize we live in a fractured world. When, when Adam and Eve, the first humans, chose sin over God, things got fractured, and they've been fractured ever since. And the question is, what do we do in the fracture? Well, if you don't hear anything else, hear this, that because of Jesus, in the midst of the fractured world, grace can abound. Because of Jesus, in the midst of fractures and brokenness, there can still be hope and there can be promise and there can be freedom. <clears throat> An example, I know this can be a sensitive subject, but in today's age, even in the church, the number of people here and watching online, there are many people listening to my voice that have experienced the pain of divorce. I, I call it the pain of divorce because I, I don't believe that anyone has ever stood on their wedding day and thought to themselves, you know what, I hope this lasts about four years. And then my, my dream scenario would be in four years, I would start to feel like my spouse is ignoring me. And so then I would start a casual friendship with someone at work. And I would not feel ignored. And then after I start that casual friendship, maybe we would go on a few lunch dates together. And then maybe those few lunch dates become an overnight experience. By the way, this is not what I'm getting at today, but... If you feel that your spouse is ignoring you and you think you are simply striking up a casual friendship at work, let me just tell you, you're not. And, and so because no one, I believe, stands on their wedding day in a church or at a justice of the peace or, or on a cruise ship, a destination wedding, which, by the way, if you're planning one, I'm willing to do that ceremony <laughs> for you. Have Bible, we'll travel. So... Um, But no one on that special day thinks, I can't wait for this to fall apart. And so we live in this tension today. Listen to me. And you're like, oh, he's he's already railing on me. I'm divorced. Just listen to me. We live in this tension because it's true. The Bible clearly states that divorce is not God's design. He did not, he created marriage. He did not create divorce. And his desire is that no marriage would end in divorce, but that that covenant relationship would, 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 would stay intact. 
And we live in a time where churches are increasingly faced with what seems to be an either-or decision. And so many churches today are teaching, you know what, it's fine, it doesn't matter. Listen, if you're unhappy, God just wants you to be happy, so don't even work on it. In fact, don't even get married, just, just live together and bypass all of that, you know, formal stuff. And, and listen, that's not what the Bible says. And if that bothers you, take it up with the Bible. So some churches are, are, are changing truth, which by the way, when you read the Bible and it disagrees with your lifestyle, you will either change your life to match the Bible or change the Bible to match your life. But then other churches have swung the pendulum and they've said, what, you're divorced? Not welcome here. Not welcome here. And what if in the middle we could say, based on scripture, God desires that no marriage would end in divorce. And we can boldly proclaim that because the Bible says so. We can say to every married couple listening to my voice, if you're in good times or hard times, God desires that no marriage would end in divorce. And then for those that have gone through the pain of divorce, we can say that if you will seek Jesus first, which will mean not to do things your way, by the way, let me just preach for a second. You've gone through divorce. You don't want to do that again. So you're just shacking up and living with someone. Guess what? Not doing things God's way. That was for free. Let me step back now. But we can say, we can say while God's desire is that no marriage in a divorce, we can also say that when we press into Jesus in the midst of the fracture, grace abounds and he makes all things new. That there's hope for what seems hopeless. And so that's what, that's what I want to talk about. Looking at John chapter 8, I want to talk about how do we find freedom in the fracture? How do we find freedom in a broken, fractured world that is increasingly polarized today and making it more and more difficult to press into the wisdom of Jesus? That's what it says in John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, at dawn he went to the temple, that's Jesus again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery, caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that, he might have, that they may have evidence to accuse him. And Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. What a story, right? What an amazing context here. Let, I said this in the first verse. Let me just say it again, by the way. If you're looking in your Bible and you notice that right above chapter 8, it says in brackets, uh, like mine says, the earliest manuscripts or MSS do not include 753 to 811. If you see that, let me just, I wish they wouldn't put that there because it can make you feel like, well, is this really part of the Bible? As scholars long before us began to collect the, the Bible, and the reason why we can believe that by faith is God has protected that which has been compiled to be the word of God. 
As scholars have gone through that process, there, there are several things that were used to determine what, what indeed would be added. And so just real quick, we don't have any of the original letters of the Bible. I mean, like John wrote this, the gospel. We don't have John's handwriting. Like we don't have Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We don't have any of those, right? And people would say, we don't have any. Well, how can we know it's true? Listen, we don't have the original copy of Plato's Republic, right? Uh, we, we don't have Julius Caesar's Gaelic Wars. We don't have Homer, not Simpson. Uh, we don't have the Odyssey. We don't have the originals of any of them. The reason why we trust these things to have been written by the people that say they wrote them is because we have copies of copies of old copies. And, and, and the reason why that's in your Bible, just, just let me teach for a second, is because the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament of the Gospel of John don't have John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8. Verse, they don't, the oldest do not have that. However, it's not simply what's in the oldest, it's also what's in the most. And the reason why it is there is because most manuscripts do have this. And so it's, it's, it's safe to believe that this is indeed part of God's word and can be taught and applied to life. All right, lecture over, let's keep going. So, so in the story, the, 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 the Pharisees, the kind of legal teachers of the day, who had been perverting the laws for their own gain, they have brought this woman caught in the act of adultery. And people say, well, how did they catch her? I mean, it was a setup. Maybe she was kind of known to live a life like, we don't know. But they caught her in the act of adultery, brought her to the Pharisees. Side note, did not bring the man. Uh, it takes two to tango, right? And so just want to point that out. And so they bring her to Jesus and they pose this question, right? Hey, so she was caught doing this. The law of Moses said the response is to execute her. What do you think? And I love it. Jesus starts drawing in the sand. Lots of people have given their opinion. That's all it is. It's fine to have an imagination. People say, well, he bent down and began to write the names of their mistresses in the sand, which if that happened, imagine me and those dudes. <laughs> this woman commits adultery. What do you think? Well, uh, Susie <laughs> and uh, Judy. And, I mean, I'd be dropping stones quick, right? And so, and so well, who knows? Well, I, you know, I like to pretend that was, that, I believe that was when the option play in football was first drawn in the sand. But anyways, so, so he writes in the sand. What matters is they kept pressing him because he, he bent down to write in the sand and it says they continued to question him. And, and Jesus has been presented with an either or, hasn't he? Either execute or enable. The law of Moses commands that she be executed. The problem is that for Jesus to carry out her execution would kind of contradict some of the ways he had been teaching. But, but to simply say, oh, it's all good. You know, she, she had a rough past or she had some life situations that put her there. For, for him to enable her would be to overlook the law of God. And so he is presented the option of execute or enable. And what does Jesus do? He turns it upside down. He, he offers option C, right? He extends grace if it would be received. And by the way, the grace extended wasn't simply for the woman. It was for the Pharisees. They just chose not to receive it. He gives them an either or. He says, okay, okay. Here's a, whoever doesn't have sin in their lives, he should be the first one to throw a stone and we'll just follow suit. So whoever has never sinned, you go ahead and get the party started. Well, not like if they throw it. So it's either throw a stone and be a liar <laughs> or walk away. And so here in the text, while Jesus was presented what seemed to be an impossible situation, 
He turned it into a life of possibilities. Here in the text, what I want to point out, that's what I want to do. I want to point out three evidences of the fracture and then three ways that we can find freedom, okay? Three, in, di- in this short story, three evidences of the fracture of sin, the brokenness of this world that show up in the story. Here's, here's the first one that you can write down. It's the Pharisees' perspective of Scripture. That's a fracture. The first thing is that the Pharisees had a flawed view of scripture. How do I know that? Well, first off, they were missing Jesus as the Messiah, even though he was fulfilling Old Testament messianic prophecies. He was putting on display that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They had a bad perspective of the Messiah. Second, secondly, what we know historically is that while there were over 600 laws of God given in the Old Testament, the Pharisees had actually twisted and perverted that law and added to it so they could live a life of compromise themselves. And so this law that they claimed to be so much about, they had twisted and perverted that, and that is a flawed perspective. Here's the deal, beloved. When, when, when you're faced with what seems to be the least bad decision, your perspective of Scripture will matter. Your perspective of the text of the Word of God will matter. And it will matter whether or not you press into the fracture or you walk in freedom. And so the first evidence is that the, the Pharisees had such a flawed view. And another part of the flaw, by the way, and I'm going to get to this in more detail in a moment, but, but another part of their flawed view of Scripture was that the law was never actually given to save people. The the law wasn't given so if people could keep it perfectly, they would receive life. The law was given to prove that we could not keep the standard on our own. And I'm going to detail that here in just a minute. So so the, the Pharisees' perspective of Scripture is evidence of the fracture. The second evidence of the fracture is the woman's practice of sin. You know, a lot of times when this passage is taught, it rightly... What happens rightly is that we point out the, the Pharisees' flaws, which we should. But, but it is inaccurate and it's unfair to the text to not point out the fact that indeed the woman was caught in the act of adultery. We know she was, well, she was framed. Listen, we don't have all the background of how she got caught, but we should not gloss over the fact that she was, she was practicing actively sin. And you're like, oh, you're coming against a woman. No, we all have a flawed practice of sin. The fact that we struggle with sin is because we live in a fractured world. And it is unfair to the text to miss this just because we want to make a point of Jesus' grace. An evidence of the fracture of brokenness is the fact that the woman was indeed caught in the act of adultery. Our sins that latch onto us and pull us further away from Jesus. Those, listen, those sins you think you've got control of, you don't. Quit playing games. I mentioned earlier, you know, you think you're just having casual lunch with that person of the opposite sex while you're married? Evaluate your heart. Because if you feel you're just getting a little bit of attention that you don't get at home, I promise you sin will take you further than you want to go. We, We all experience the fracture because of the sinfulness that we battle each and every day. And then the third evidence of the fracture is actually the law's inability to save. The law's power to save is evidence of the fracture, right? The Pharisees bring the woman to Jesus. They say to him, 
this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, the law of Moses commands that she be executed. They weren't wrong. Why? Because in this case, the law provided no grace and no sense of hope for this woman. There was no possibility of life to the fullest left alone to the law. Here's the deal, beloved. The law, the Old Testament law, right? And you, by the way, you can make that any law today. Today, there are churches filled with people, and they are being told that if you will just try harder, God will be more pleased, and you might get into heaven. If you will just get baptized, listen, and we celebrate baptism, but it won't make you saved. You can get sprinkled as a child, dunked as an adult, anything in between. It will not make you right with God. You are baptized after becoming a believer because you have, by faith, been made right with God. But there are churches saying if you just get baptized, if you just give more money, if you just come more faithfully, if you just sign up for this class, if you finish this course, if you just do more stuff, then maybe the scales will balance in your favor. That's just a new law. And the law has never had the power to save. When God gave the law in the Old Testament, over 600 laws, it, listen, there's, there's lots of categories of the law. Some of them were given to help keep, help keep uh, people safe. There were civil laws for the day. Some were ceremonial laws that they were called to follow. But some were moral laws. But the law of the Old Testament was not given so that people in the Old Testament, if they did it good, would be made right with God. That's never how it worked. In fact, God made that clear because in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God did not say in that moment, Genesis chapter 3, he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to come up with a list of do's and don'ts, and through that list, darkness will be vanquished. No, he said that through the descendant of the woman, there would be someone who would crush the head of the serpent. He didn't say the woman would do it. The power is not in of ourselves. Right, Adam and Eve, they've sinned. If there was an answer that they could, could take on themselves, why not give it to them? The law has never been given. The law wasn't given as a standard to be kept. The law was given to prove that we cannot keep the standard. It is prideful arrogance that thinks that we can be good enough. And so from the Old Testament to today, people are saved by grace through Faith, yes, the law taught us that sacrifice would be necessary. That's why Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. But it was never this standard, because here's the deal. No one has kept it. Forget the 600 plus. No one in this room or online has kept the Big Ten, right? The famous, you're like, oh, I think I have. I will take the microphone off, and you can come give testimony to that. I am not even joking. No, No volunteers. We all know it. And I've, oh, well, I've never committed adultery. Well, unfortunately, Jesus told us what the, what the heart of the law was when he would preach the Sermon on the Mount. He'd say, have you lusted in your heart? Well, then you've committed adultery. And it got real quiet in the room, right? Well, I've never killed anybody. Have you had hatred in your heart for someone? Well, then you've killed someone. Well, that, well I've never lied. Just did, so. <laughs> like, we... Hear hear me, we can't keep 10 of them. So the law, therefore, cannot save. And in this instance, the fracture is the Pharisees thought somehow 
They were going to trap Jesus with the law because it was the ultimate standard. Jesus is the standard. He does not negate the law. He fulfills it. So that today, by the way, by the way, today, when people want to say, well, I've been saved by grace, so pastor, don't tell me how to live my life. I would argue you actually have not been saved by grace. Listen to me. Because when we receive the kindness of God applied to our life through Jesus, and the result is we think we can live like hell. 20 plus years serving the church, more than once I've had people tell me that I need to be careful when I preach on grace. Pastor, oh, you talk about grace so much, but you got to bring that truth. Grace is never absent of truth, beloved. And just as a reminder, you and I, if you're like, oh, I'm, you and I don't need license to sin. We do that just fine on our own. We are born into sin. We need license to be obedient. We need license to pursue life to the fullest in King Jesus. So talking about grace does not create license of sin. And listen, I say this in love. If anyone listening to my voice in this room or online, you say, well, you know what? I've got Jesus. I said yes. I said a prayer. And yeah, maybe I'm, li- maybe I'm living my life the way I want. I've got some affairs going on. And I'm looking at this stuff online. And yeah, maybe I'm abusing alcohol. I'm do- but but you, don't, you can't judge me. You're right. I can't. But, jo- but God can. You may not want that. I'm just, I'm just saying, if that's you, only God knows your heart, but I would encourage you today to evaluate if you have truly said yes to Jesus. The law cannot save us. That, that, that's a fracture to believe that somehow we can do enough. So, so how do we respond, right? In the, in the midst of life in the fracture where everything seems so polarized today and we get pulled in different directions and we got to fit into a nice box and if we don't, we get kind of canceled or we get overlooked or we get ostracized. How, how do we press into the freedom? Well, here, here's the deal. In the midst of the fracture, freedom is found in faithfulness. What happens in the story to the woman who seemingly was going to be condemned was, was freedom was applied to her life. And, and so how do we walk in, in freedom according to faithfulness? Let me give you three more things real quick. How, how do we walk faithfully in freedom? Where does the faithfulness that we have get directed, right? Where, where does, because everyone's faithful to something. How do we direct our faithfulness to the right things? Here we go real quick, three things. First off, I want you to evaluate, are you directing your faithfulness to Jesus? There's, there's number one. And I know that's like a deep theological point. You're all impressed with my Bible knowledge? Like, duh, of course, Chris, yeah. But this is what I would contend. How many of us have really done some deep soul work lately to evaluate where our faithfulness is indeed connected? Listen, we, 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 can, we can mourn the tragedies of the world. I mean, listen, to this earthquake, right? I mean, goodness, goodness. Natural disasters that claim lives. I hope that I'm not talking to anyone that, that doesn't believe this is still a reality, but, but racial inequalities and, and the way that it shows its ugly face, right? Goodness, like brokenness. Socioeconomics, people living in poverty that, that, that aren't going to eat today, right? Like we, we don't have to look hard to, to find and what the world wants to offer, the world wants to offer things to be faithful to, the, to make us feel okay about the brokenness, right? Uh, and, and so it, it's politics or, or it's, it's simple 
self-fulfillment, right? Well, I won't worry about all that bad stuff. I'll just worry about me. Well, I can't do anything about the bad stuff, so I, just, I need to, to kind of lock on to this political party because they're going to make it better. And what I think is happening in the church that's really a tragedy is that there are people that know Jesus, but we aren't daily doing the work to evaluate where is our faithfulness being applied because I think there are people in the church that are way more faithful to things other than Jesus today. And all that does is perpetuate the fracture. Because people in your circle of influence, you know what, they're, they're hurting also. They're not talking about it, but they're hurting. And if they find that you are attempting to find solace and peace and comfort in some other place than Jesus, where will they try to find it? And so we, we, we walk in freedom by making sure our faithfulness is hitched to Jesus. You say, well, okay, but that's real like up here. How do I make that practical? Here's a real easy thing. This week, look at three areas of your life. Look at your time. Look at your checkbook and look at how you're applying your passions and talents to how you're putting those things to work. Because somewhere in your use of time, somewhere in the way you approach your finances, and somewhere in the way you use your talents and passions, if God doesn't show up, guess what you're not faithful to? Faithfulness to Jesus. It's not something we do to gain his favor. It's what we do because he's given us his favor. And so we walk in freedom by taking our faithfulness and applying it to Jesus. Okay, so I gave you those three areas, but practically, like day, day in, day out, how do I make sure that I stay faithful to Jesus? You stay faithful to his word. Faithfulness to the text of scripture. Faithfulness to the word of God. I said earlier, listen, one of the things we deal with today is we come up, we, we, we come up against parts of the Bible that do not line up with the way we want to live our lives. And so we will either change the scriptures to match our lives or change our lives to match the scripture. It's going on and on all over the place. Listen, there are churches today that are dumbing down the scriptures that are leaving parts out because it's unpopular. I get it. It is, it is a difficult, let me just say, don't feel bad for me, but it's a difficult time to teach the truth of scripture. Because I don't want anyone to be discouraged. I don't. Like, I'm a people pleaser. Like, just, okay. I don't want anyone to be discouraged. I don't want anyone to, to get upset and not want to come back. I don't want anyone to hear something that they may feel they could internalize as God is against them. But I know I can't teach contrary to what the scripture says. By the way, we get into all these, like, sexual identity and gender ethics, and we think that's, those are the things that are going to really cause problems. The gospel at its core attacks my pride. Because the gospel says I can't do it, and none of us want to be told that. Let's just admit it, right? And so what we do, I'm just preaching now, I'm just, I didn't even study this part. What we do is we start getting sucked into the secondary issues that matter. But listen to me, believer, you don't have to go be a warrior on sexual ethics if you're not willing to be a warrior for the gospel. That's the primary issue. Because people that are dealing with sexual identity, listen, the Bible's clear. God has created man and woman to be in relationship with each other. It's evidence because that's the only way procreation can happen. Okay? But when someone struggles with that, their greatest need, if they don't know Jesus, isn't heterosexual identity. Their greatest need is Jesus. So why do you start somewhere else? The gospel has to be what drives us. And what, the reason why we lose our way, and listen to me, equal opportunity offender here. The reason why some people twist the scripture and want to say that it's okay to live lifestyles contrary to it 
is the same reason why people who don't know the scripture make secondary issues the primary issue when it comes to the heart. Beloved, you can never be faithful to that with which you are not familiar. Freedom is found in faithfulness to Jesus. Faithfulness to Jesus is found in faithfulness to the word of God. And faithfulness to the word of God is found in regular practice. If the last time your Bible was opened was when you heard somebody say, turn to the chapter of. You got to work on your, your rhythms of familiarity. Because this is what I know to be true. Maybe you're here, you're watching online, you're like, oh, it's just another church telling me that I'm broken and messed up. Look, guess what? Without Jesus, you are. Like, we just. But if you have a, a differing view on sexual identity and gender ethics and divorce or all these social things that we talk about today, they're not social, they're biblical things. And what I would tell you is that if you would run to the scriptures and just be open. You, you, you may not find agreement, but you will find freedom. I promise. Let, let, the scriptures doesn't support everything that I want to do. Can I just say that? Is that okay? I know I'm a pastor. But without Jesus, my sinful flesh, the scripture doesn't support everything I want to do. But, but when I put my desires to death and pick up God's, I find freedom that I've never known. When I, when I put my desires to death. Listen, I think sometimes preachers, we, we, just, we just talk and we, you know, we don't always kind of pull the curtain back. Let me just, just, if you're unsure if I'm a sinner, let me just. Next month, I'll celebrate 25 years of walking with Jesus. March 4th will be my 25th spiritual birthday. But I remember, I remember not walking with Jesus. I do. Because some of that guy still shows up. And if I can just pull back the curtain, be as raw as I can. I, I know that Chris. And if that Chris was living today without the hope of Jesus, you know what? June, I'll celebrate 21 years of faithfulness to my wife. But that Chris, just to be honest, say what you want about what was acceptable. That Chris wouldn't want 21 years of intimacy with one woman. That Chris would desire other experiences. And so I got to put to death desires. And I don't say that, well, here 21 years later, you know, I'm still suffering for the Lord. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> listen, listen to me. And I, I, this isn't just preacher talk. Because 19-year-old Chris, and, and I had a social construct of what was moral. I would not have said at 19, I hope I have lots of affairs and sleep around because I knew that wasn't acceptable. But that would have been the desire of my heart. And today, after 21 years almost of marriage, what I have found is that I had such a limited view of what fulfillment is. I had such a limited view. Because it's not simply that I've dedicated myself to one woman, but I've been received by one. And so sometimes we read the Bible and we say, I'll be faithful to this. And on the front side, it doesn't make sense because I feel this other way. And it might not happen overnight. It probably won't. But here is my guarantee to you. If you will be faithful to the word of God, which results in faithfulness to Jesus, you will find yourself fulfilled. Because there's freedom in the fracture. And here's the third thing. Close out. 
Ultimately, those first two, right, in the midst of the fracture, we, we choose to apply faithfulness to Jesus. We do so by applying faithfulness to the word of God. But those two are only possible because Jesus has been faithful to us. We only build off of his faithfulness. Because Jesus was faithful to the Father, he left heaven and came to earth. Because he was faithful to the Father and rejected every kind of temptation that we face, he said no to that. Because Jesus was faithful to the Father and and went to the cross. Because he was faithful to the mission of salvation. And some people don't like this, but I like to offend everybody. Because he was faithful to you and me. He didn't exist for me, but he does love me. And because of his faithfulness today, I can in return choose faithfulness towards him. And so here's maybe a practical next step that you need to do. You just need to walk away today and and remind yourself of God's faithfulness to you. Because maybe you've gone through what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul, what Chris says, really bad day. Maybe, maybe you've been going through really bad days and they're just stacking up. It's like a really bad season. And you're, you know, I go to church, God, I, I, I tithe, I, I do things and you're not upholding your end of the deal. I'm getting kind of frustrated, Lord. And what you need to remind yourself of is his never ending faithfulness to you. Because when we feel he's not upholding his end of the deal, we forget that he is upholding all ends of the deal. And I genuinely wish it was just a one-time thing, but I have learned I've got to daily remind myself of the overwhelming love of God applied to me, Jesus' never-ending faithfulness given to me, and in reminding myself of that, writing it down, praying about it, thanking God for it, then I am positioned to go be faithful to Jesus as I am faithful to his word. I believe many people who have received the gift of salvation that are struggling with a life of habitual sin is partly, listen, there's responsibility, of course, but I think it is partly because they have lost sight of the faithfulness of Jesus in their life because you cannot comprehend that faithfulness and take it for granted. And so in the midst of the fracture of this world, the brokenness all around me, I choose to walk in freedom, and I find that freedom in Jesus because of his faithfulness to me, and that promotes my faithfulness back to him. And so today, maybe you just need to spend some time here in a few moments. If you're in the room, you can come to the altar and just pray and thank God for his faithfulness towards you. Maybe this week you need to decide, I'm going to get serious about getting into the word of God. And, and don't just think, don't, don't sit here in church and be like, oh, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Not going to happen. Make a plan. Like as we sing together, write something down. I'm getting up at 6 a.m. and I'm going to read a chapter of the Bible every morning this week. I'm going to, I'm going to start my lunch break. I will end my day wherever it fits in your rhythms. But don't just say, I hope to. Decide. Again, let me say this again. You can never be faithful to that with which you're not familiar Say, I'm going to get up, and once I get some coffee in my system and I have a clear head, I'm going to spend five minutes in prayer. Well, Chris, I don't know what to pray. Just thank God for what he's done. If you, if you run out of things to thank God for in five minutes, you, just, you need to broaden your horizons. Ask him to be with you that day. Disciplines, right? Some of, we need to choose some disciplines. 
You need to move. I know you're here, so I don't you know, preach to the choir. But you need to move up corporate worship higher on your priority list. You need to choose community. Start honoring God with your resources. It doesn't make sense. You don't know how you could give 10% of what you get every month and somehow still make ends meet. But God has said, test me in this area. (laughs) Worship him with the tithe. Choose disciplines. Maybe today you have received the gift of Jesus and what you need is baptism. You you shouldn't be seated still. Listen, they're not going to offend me or anyone. Get, Get to our info center and say, I need to get baptized today right now. When we understand the mess of this world and the least bad decisions that we try to make and we understand that Jesus steps in and he broadens our horizons and it doesn't have to be this or that, but it can be freedom. And Jesus, listen, Jesus isn't lion or lamb. He's lion and lamb. Like those don't work together. I've never gone to Gladys Porter in Brownsville and seen sheep in the lion cage. It don't work, right? Society says you got to be a lion and stand your ground and stick up for yourself. You don't want to be a sheep that doesn't think for themselves. But you better not say Jesus doesn't think for himself, right? We don't have to exist in the either-or polarized world because in Jesus there is freedom to find the hidden ways and the wisdom of the Father and life to the fullest. And we don't have to trust our own efforts to be enough. Here's the thing. I'm going to wrap up with this. You know, you can finish the Old Testament. What you will find is the person designated as the high priest. If you read the entire Old Testament, that person, and it was different people, their job was never done. There was always an upcoming, what was called Day of Atonement. There was always a next sacrifice because people kept sinning, including themselves. No high priest ever got to call it good. There's no retirement plan for the high priest. But we get to the New Testament and we read that Jesus is our high priest. And Hebrews chapter 1 tells us in verse 3 that after he made sacrifice, the high priest who, the high priest of the Old Testament, sacrifice, get back to it, go to the next one. But when Jesus made sacrifice through his death on the cross, Hebrews tells us he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He said, mission accomplished. My question is, have you received the work of Jesus in your life? Not your works, not your family's works. Have you received the finished work of Jesus in your individual life? Well, how do I do that? The Bible says it's by grace through faith. It's not a work. It's belief that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's done what he says he's done. And that salvation is found in him. And so here in a few moments, we'll have our prayer team available. You can come receive prayer. You can come kneel at the altar. You can talk about getting baptized. You can make a plan to get in the word of God this week. But it might be that today there is someone, just one person. And what you need is the hope of salvation. And so I'm going to give you that chance. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And today, if you're not sure where you stand before God, because you don't know if you've made that decision to follow Jesus, then I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with me if that's what you would like to do. Hear me, the prayer is not a magic formula. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that if you simply recite words a pastor says, then that's the answer. What we do read in the Bible in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is that if you would believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the prayer isn't a magic formula, it's a confession that you need Jesus, that you believe he is who he says he is and he's done what he says he's done. So again, if that's you, right where you are, and to give your life to Jesus, just say this simple prayer with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that you made a way 
for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus that he came to earth. He lived without sin. He died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose again and he defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, today I trust you with my life and I receive your salvation. Thank you for loving me first. Will you help me live for you every day of my life? It's in your name that I pray. Amen.